Shift is the podcast of Collective Discovery. We support people to collaborate and make change together. This series shares learning and practice from organisations and funders who are part of the Listening Fund. Hello and welcome to the Shift podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Mercy. So Mercy, in this episode, we'll hear about how youth organisations have created structures for engagement with young people. In this episode, we'll hear from Cecilia, Kerry, Italia and Eugene, who will tell us about their experience. Cecilia is from Spark Inside, an organisation which provides coaching and a programme called The Hero's Journey to support young people within the prison estate. She tells us about how their in-prison advisory boards, IPABs, help to inform the design of their services and also about the importance of reciprocity. Then we'll hear from Kerry from the ADHD Foundation, who, alongside her colleague Stephen, supports the National Neurodiversity Youth Council. This brings together ambassadors from six charities focused on neurodiverse conditions to strengthen their collective voice and impact. She will tell us about how creating these structures can help young people to feel less alone in the challenges they face and to take action together. Italia, or we call her Tali, is from The Mix, a digital charity for under-25s, reaching over 6 million young people with support on a range of issues. Tali will tell us about how creating a youth board has transformed the organisation's culture and driven their organisational strategy. And finally, we'll hear from Eugene from We Don't Settle. We Don't Settle is based in Birmingham and works with communities of empowered young people to transform the arts, culture and heritage sectors. He will tell us about their youth steering committee, the benefits of young people being involved and how they are learning and improving their support and structure. So I spoke to Cecilia at Spark Inside about their in-prison advisory boards, IPABs, and the role they play for Spark Inside. The IPABs were, were twofold, were about getting answers to the future direction for Spark Inside, but also to help the young adults who participated to leave the group with a range of transferable skills. So their task was to find out from their peers whether they thought it was a good idea to run what was called the conversation. And the conversation is um, similar to Hero's Journey, where you would have a space where you would have officers young adults together talking through the issues about being in that space, how it works. But I also wanted them to think about transferable skills. So, for example, one of the things that they needed to do was to design a questionnaire that they would distribute to their peers. And it enabled me to talk to them about the differences between qualitative and quantitative research methods and what you get from it and what it means. And, you know, they were it was like, oh, right, we didn't know that, I hadn't thought about this. So it's ways of saying, look, you're able, and these are some of the things that, that you can do. And I asked her what the biggest challenges were in involving young people in their work. A big challenge is that within the prison estate, there are very few spaces that are quiet. When you're out on the wing, it's a cacophony of sound, shouting, laughter, fighting, and they're not going to be allowed to sit in a private space on a one-to-one basis because the assumption is going to be that they're up to no good. So it meant that actually I need to speak to the governor and the officers to say, look, 
I've asked these guys to do this. This is what they're doing. And I really hadn't thought about it at all. So it was about protecting them also in, in that environment because I certainly wouldn't want them to lose any of their privileges as a result of me asking them to undertake that task. And I think the other challenge is that for many of the, the young adults, they are not confident writers, so they would do anything to avoid having to write. So they will talk to you until the cows come home, but you ask them to put things on paper and they're more hesitant. So again, it's about, you know, finding smaller ways just to encourage them that they can do it, really. Finally, Cecilia told me what happened when the young adults were able to present their findings to Spark Inside. For the representatives that came from Spark Inside, it was a, an eye-opener, I think, in, in many ways. For these young adults to articulate very clearly what their experiences are in terms of not being heard, not being respected, feeling dehumanised. And I think that element about reciprocity really at that point making sense for them. It's well intended and any work that is about empowering young adults is uh, really important. But then you need to think about the environment that you're in and, and making it make sense. What the guys said quite clearly was that, well, what difference is this going to make? You know, us having done this work, what are you going to do with it? And they were very powerful in terms of articulating their experiences. The representatives who came gave an undertaking to feed back because for the, the members of the IPAB, at least half of them who were on really quite long sentences, so they're going to be around for the next little while, not necessarily where they were but it gives Spark Inside the opportunity to actually go back and report on what they're doing and what they've done. So I spoke to Kerry from the ADHD Foundation about how the idea of the National Neurodiversity Youth Council came about. The idea of a National Neurodiversity Youth Council was originally fostered by one of our young ambassadors from the ADHD Foundation. They were very aware that every neurodiverse condition or every neurodiverse charity had their own ambassador group or their own youth council. But we were thinking more along the lines of if all of those neurodiverse conditions come together and work as a coalition, then their voices are going to be heard. So I asked Kerry how she, in her role, supports youth ambassadors, particularly given that all of the ambassadors have a ND, neurodiverse condition. So they have access to Stephen and I. So I have a qualification regarding coaching and Stephen is qualified as a therapist. So they have access to us there for that wellbeing support. They have received media training. We're currently trying to schedule some training regarding meditation and organisation and making sure that they can support their well-being and their confidence, being able to pace and plan so they're not overwhelmed with all of the tasks. I think one of the things that stands out with the Neurodiverse Youth Council is that all of those young people have a different skill set, but they also have different challenges because of the conditions that they've been diagnosed with. So it's not as straightforward and all of these people need this meditation support or all of these people need this media support. It's looking at those individual young people and understanding what their strengths are and what their interests are and where they want to go. Sometimes you'll find that 
some of the younger ambassadors will go solidly and complete a task and they're really interested in it and they've put loads of work in it for two weeks and then they might go quiet for a little bit. But that's absolutely fine. And if they do go a little bit quiet, then Stephen and I will just check up on them. Because a lot of the ADHD Foundation team are also neurodiverse, we understand that if there's a task there that you're really finding difficult, sometimes you need that, that support to get you started on it or to help you finish it or that little bit in the middle. So it is very scaffolded just to support them. So then I asked Kerry how the ADHD Foundation had gone about building a sense of collective and a sense of team when young people didn't know each other and were coming from all different parts of the country. I think the turning point was when we all did come to Liverpool for the residential and we went bowling we went to do um, escape rooms we all had a meal together and it was only the Friday night and listening to those young people all talking straight away and getting along and thinking about ideas yet again was just one of those special moments and one of the young people as they were walking back to the hotel said this is the first time in years that I felt like I could just be myself it's all been their ideas. We started off this process with them. People find that a little bit daunting because you're going in there with a blank slate. And it's also difficult not to put your own ideas and your own kinds of control there of this is what I want it to look like. But that was the best thing that we ever did. I was really excited to hear from Kerry about the ripple effects on the organisations involved, stemming from young people working together as the National Neurodiversity Youth Council. So it's definitely creating stronger partnership. We've got some smaller charities that only have two members of staff and they really struggle to maybe get their voice heard. So it's providing that space for them as well. There's been conversations regarding fundraising, saying, can we all do something together? So we have also started to look back inside towards our charities' policies and procedures and thinking, okay, Yes, we listen to young people maybe in this part of the service, and but can we analyse that across the whole of the charity? I asked Tali from The Mix about how having a youth board had impacted their organisational culture. The impact it's had at The Mix, it's huge. So we've been working for quite a long time to embed a culture of listening to young people. So for about the last five years, and so we've got like youth voice groups and all sorts of things that happen like within the operational stuff, and then we've brought in this youth board. The biggest thing is that culture has really taken with the youth board because I think when people see our CEO and our chairman of our board listening to young people and taking that really seriously, it just slightly shifts the culture to like, wow, okay, this is something that's really, really important. Like people were already doing it, but I find people are more excited about doing it. And also as well for the young people that we were listening to or have been listening to for quite a while in our youth voice groups, knowing that there's a youth board there are people in those decision-making seats. It's really helped with how I think engaged they are. So it's had this massive cultural effect. The board of trustees themselves are really excited about listening to young people and they've taken what the youth board have said really seriously. Personally, I thought it would take a little bit longer before we'd start to see the impact. So our new strategy is almost entirely led by our youth board. So we had our youth board strategy meeting before all the other meetings. So the meeting with our staff and the meeting with our board of trustees and that kind of stuff. 
And so it's really led by them. And I'd say that the strategy is really bold. It's really exciting. It's definitely very much focused on being responsive to what young people need. And it's really different, I think, from the ones that we've had in the past. And I asked her to tell me a bit more about what their challenges have been and what they've learned. One of the things that we know is really good practice around youth voice, youth participation is making sure that young people see and understand the impact of their involvement quite early on. And I think sometimes in board spaces, because we're so strategic, right, in that space, that that can be really difficult to see that that impact so early. So, you know, usually you'd be like, yep, young people come in, they contribute, we change something, and then you feed that change back. And that's a really nice loop. It keeps people really engaged. It's much more difficult when we're talking about wide strategy as opposed to specific projects. So finding those small ones, finding those spaces where they can have impact quite quickly and early on, and then just explaining when things are going to take a bit more time. Accessibility is the other thing. Remembering to send board slides out well ahead of time so people can read them ahead of time, making sure that there's someone on hand to ask questions around some of the, the trickiest, the legal stuff or the financial stuff or that kind of thing. I think it's important to highlight is that, yes, we've got our youth board, which is five five young people. But we also shared with them all the insights from our wider youth voice groups and all of our data. So they are like holding that decision making, but on quite a wide range of voices in different ways from young people as well, which I think has really helped. I spoke to Eugene from We Don't Settle about the Youth Steering Committee. The YSC comprises of six young people that we work through from different backgrounds and we essentially recruit them as you would perhaps like a board member. To put it simply, they are consultants for everything we do. We try to consult them in terms of processes, how we want to work, whether something's a good or bad idea, or just to like bounce around some ideas. And we pay them for their insights, for their sharing their experiences, whether lived or not. And as I said, we're actually at six now, which we're happy with. Yeah, we just, we love the group dynamic. You know, they really do help guide us and keep our finger on the pulse of what young people are thinking, what's relevant, what's needed for the young people we serve. I asked what support the Youth Steering Committee has received. There's always a natural development process in general when you are in a new role, in a new environment. Sometimes we will do masterclasses on governance or, you know, how a board is set up, that kind of thing. The development process, we ensure that we know their skills beforehand, even if not directly related to the Youth Steering Committee. And we kind of manage in midterm assessment, we kind of see, oh, do you feel like you're developing in some aspect? You know, what do you want us to change? What do you want us to do differently? So we make sure we always have our finger on the pulse in terms of their journey from beginning till end. It's also treated as a way to give people that experience. That's something that we're very comfortable with them kind of putting on their CV. You know, we give references. We then talked about what they've learned and how they've adapted the Youth Steering Committee. There wasn't as much structure as we would have liked. There wasn't as much foresight as we would have liked. We took a step back and then we were like, all right, let's rehash things. Let's talk about what works, what what doesn't. Let's add some more structure. Let's think further ahead. So far, they seem really proud to be part of this change in this organisation and just the change we want to achieve overall. I really enjoyed hearing from Cecilia about the in-prison advisory boards and how, despite all of the challenges that the young adults face, they were able to gather the views of their peers and present them to Spark Inside. And it's really clear to me that Cecilia's emphasis on reciprocity and making sure that the experience benefits the young adults as well as the organisation is really important. 
young adults in prison often have had a really bad experience of institutions and how through engaging with young people in a more supportive, inclusive, reciprocal and responsive way, you can gather feedback for your organisation, but also have a wider kind of ripple effect on their lives. And then talking to Kerry, I had a much longer conversation with Kerry, which was fascinating about how we can make sure that processes that are created for young people to be listened to or to share power can be inclusive of neurodiverse young people. She talked me through the level of kind of planning it took to have their retreat, the Neurodiverse Youth Council coming together, the level of information that she was providing to make sure that young people felt safe and they knew session by session, almost minute by minute, like what young people might need to be able to participate fully. You know, I think these structures that bring young people together are so important because quite often young people feel really alone and isolated and find it really hard maybe to reach out. And what we hear maybe particularly from Cecilia and Kerry, so from Spark Inside and the ADHD Foundation, is is the value of creating kind of safe spaces for young people to be themselves and to express what they want and what needs to change together. Something I took away from my conversation with both Tali and Eugene was the sense of how much working with young people through their kind of different committees has impacted their outlook on work and workplace culture. So Charlie really talked about how kind of through the organisation, listening to young people is taken really seriously. And I think there's something from both of them about how excited they were to be able to work somewhere where actually they don't just have a cute little steering committee that is consulted, you know, every now and then about the colour that they might want on a booklet they're creating, but actually having a real sense each day when they do come to work that actually they recognise and know what it is young people want and are then able to deliver on that. Actually, when you do this work and do it well, it is really powerful. And also recognising what doesn't work. So in all of the conversations that I had, it was, we do it like this because we learned from, you know, X experience. You don't have to eat everything at the buffet of, you know, working with young people on steering committees, but actually there are different ways you might do that in different settings and contexts. And I think there's something also about recognising the transient nature of young people and recognising that you're not always going to have the same collective. Having the room for turnover and growth is really important because young people are eventually going to leave these spaces. They're eventually not going to be young anymore. They're eventually going to have other things to focus on in their life. Yeah, and I think we've heard that about a lot of different initiatives. They launch them with one group of young people and develop a process, a structure, a role that works for that group of young people. But as those young people move on, then you sort of have to constantly be shifting and changing that process. And that that's inevitable. You know, what works for one group of young people will not necessarily work with another. Thanks to all our guests in this episode, Cecilia, Kerry, Tali and Eugene. 
You'll find further information about our guests and links to further episodes in the show notes. And if you have any feedback or ideas about what we could cover next, then please email us at collective at collectivediscovery.co.uk.